we gather uh, to uh, reflect on this particular word, uh, let me read uh, 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 the words of Isaiah 55 and uh, pray in light of that. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you that your word is life. It is true food, that it doesn't return to you empty, but fulfills the purposes for which you send it. So work your word in our life now. That as we behold you, we might repent of our ways, we might turn from our thoughts and adopt your ways and your thoughts for your glory in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There are a few psalms that speak of comfort more than a psalm like this and what comfort and images of comfort there are. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Just this past week, uh, a, an image of Ireland popped up into my feed. And uh, is there a country that's more green than Ireland? Such a lush pasture. Uh, I still remember so clearly those times when we were in Cambridge, uh, heading out onto the pieces, onto the greens, and uh, particularly in tulip, daffodil time and uh, just being able to sit and enjoy such green pasture. Of course, our family being what it was, it had to happen on a picnic rug and the children wouldn't go off the picnic rug and well, let's face it, the parents didn't go off the picnic rug either. Uh, but uh, you get the image of being able to sit and enjoy uh, such blue sky, such green grass, such uh, lush vegetation. And uh, the, the peace that comes with that, the joy that comes with that. We have a God who leads beside still waters. In the ancient world, the idea of the sea, of the waters, uh, is that of chaos. It brings chaos. It brings destruction. It's something so beyond the power of uh, human uh, strength that people rightly fear it. In uh, the holiday that we had uh, at the end of last year, uh, we were at a particular beach and uh, we was, well, the family was sitting and enjoying it. I was standing on the edge of the waves. We didn't want the boys to go too far in the water because the undertow was quite severe. And uh, I thought I was safe. I was only about 10 metres into the water and uh, happily just standing there firmly planted. But a wave came and then, you know, 10 seconds later, I was 30 metres down the beach and my family were laughing at me. Uh, but it's the, the power of the waves. Uh, and when we multiply that, the chaos of the waves. But God is one who leads beside still waters, calm waters, Waters that give life. Even though uh, the psalmist walks through the valley of the shadow of death, there is a comfort that is communicated in this psalm. I'm not talking about shadows in the garden. The psalmist isn't talking about mild shadows that might be cast. But he's talking about deep uh, gloom pitch darkness, 
a darkness that brings fear and terror. I don't know whether you've had those experiences in your life. There's been a couple in my own lifetime. Uh, the first of my own making, or actually they were both of my own making. Uh, there was a movie I once saw uh, called Event Horizon. If you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen it, don't watch it. Um, uh, it's one of those few movies that is truly, truly terrifying. And uh, I happened to have watched this movie thinking it was, you know, Event Horizon set in space is just a normal sci-fi movie. And uh, no, turns out it was a horror film. And um, uh, I was home alone as I watched it. And uh, it was so disturbing uh, that uh, I had to turn all the lights on in the house on, on my way to bed. Uh, I used to be quite embarrassed by that until I found out a few years ago, a really good friend of mine, uh, he saw it at the movies. And when he got home, he had to get his friends out of the car and go explore the house with him to make sure that there was nothing in the shadows there. Darkness can breed fear. Darkness can breed terror and particularly the fear of death. I remember walking home uh, from some young adult activity. Uh, I'm sure Kat was there uh, back in the days uh, when we were at Asquith. And uh, walking home in the wee small hours, I thought the safe thing to do would be, if, if you know the Pacific Highway up around Asquith, Mount Cole, you can walk along the highway, uh, actually on the highway at the wee small hours because no one drives on it. Uh, and I thought I'd be safe. Um, but out of the deep gloom, at about three o'clock in the morning, uh, somebody else thought that they would walk on the highway uh, to keep themselves safe the other direction. And the fright that we gave each other uh, uh, out of that gloom, out of the darkness. Even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, a deathly gloom in which our mortality is threatened, in which death looms, in which terror resides, I will fear no evil. What a comfort that is. A table is prepared in the midst of enemies. There is a peacefulness, a security that comes with this comfort. That even though there is threat without and opposition without, even though there is trouble without, Yet within, there is peace. Within, there is comfort. Within, there is confidence. And that image there in verse 5, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. This is not the anointing uh, of the Christ, Messiah, King kind of point anointing. It's the anointing uh, of refreshment. The refreshment that comes, uh, I, I can't think of many things worse than pouring oil on my head as an idea of refreshment. Uh, my hair's oily enough as it is, thank you. Uh, but in the ancient world, the pouring of oil on the head uh, is an image of refreshment, uh, of cleansing, of uh, pleasant things. A psalm of comfort, a psalm of peace of serenity, of stillness in the context of trouble and turmoil. But it's not just a psalm of that, is it? 
because these things come from a very definite and very particular source. It's a psalm of comfort from God, of stillness that God gives, of peace that he provides. It's God who brings these things. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me. Uh, And then in verse 4, it switches from the he and he starts speaking to God directly. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. These tools, these implements that a shepherd would use to discipline are turned not towards the flock but turned outwards to protect. God is one who preserves and keeps and stands between trouble and his people. God is the one who comforts. He prepares the table. He anoints the head with oil. He is with us, says the psalmist. But this morning I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you, who is God the shepherd of in this psalm? When the Lord said, uh, when the psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd, who is the I in the psalm? They're the psalms of David, we know, psalms of David the king, the psalms of David the king who had the spirit of God within him to prophesy. What gives anyone, let alone you and me, the right to say, The Lord, Yahweh, God himself, is our shepherd. There's an audacity to it, isn't there? To claim God as this intimate carer and comforter, the one who made the universe, the one who made and sustains all things, the one who is God and there is no other, to say he is my shepherd. This psalm comes in the context of Psalms 20 to 22 that we've been looking at over the last few weeks. Psalms of the King. And we feel the, uh, this comfort in the midst of turmoil and trouble even more acutely when we realise that this is a psalm first and foremost about Jesus, the King about God's anointed, his Christ. The Lord is the king's shepherd. The king shall not want. The king is made to lie down in green pastures. The king is led beside still waters. Even though the king walks through the valley of the shadow of death, he will fear no evil. For God is with him. What a contrast from the previous psalm. In Psalm 20, we heard the desire of the people for God to answer the king's prayer, for God God to save his king. And in Psalm 21, we heard the actual prayer of the king for life, 
for salvation, for length of days, forever and ever, to be preserved from the enemy, to be victorious and to live and to live the life that is truly life, to dwell with God and to have rich blessing and honour and glory. And then Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as we read for tone in these Psalms, we hear the celebratory, the, the, the uh, triumphant almost uh, desire of Psalm 20 and indeed the triumphant expression of joy and praise that comes in Psalm 21. And then we hear the contrast, the, the despair that comes in Psalm 22. Why have you forsaken me? And then Psalm 23, a stillness a calm confidence, a quiet comfort because God has saved the life of his king. He has raised him from the dead. He's not preserved from the shadow of death. He's preserved through it. He's not saved from the enemies but saved through them. And his victory comes after suffering. His glory comes after uh, beating, mocked, scorned, rejected by men. And in this psalm, we see touches of that resurrection life as well. Have a look with me. Uh, at verse 3, it says there, he restores my soul. Quite literally, he returns my soul. The Lord is my shepherd. He returns my soul. In fact, in verse 6 as well, and some of you may have the footnote that says this, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall return in the house of the Lord forever. Whatever life this psalmist is experiencing, whatever life the king is experiencing, it is one of return, of restoration, of being brought back. And again, in verse 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The NIV has made it a little bit unclear here. But he leads me in paths of righteousness. What are paths of righteousness? Paths of righteousness is not just a path so you can do the right thing. The path of righteousness, the path of the right, is life. Hear these words of Proverbs 12, 28. In the path of the righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. It's a synonym for life because only the righteous have life. He returns my soul. He brings back my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness. He leads me in the path of life for his name's sake. I shall return, verse 6, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Come back into the house of the Lord, the presence of God.
here is a king who takes comfort that he shall live with God forever. Through death, verse 4, but into life. He doesn't need to fear the enemy. He takes comfort and confidence in his God. But what of us? But what of you and me? This is perhaps the most famous psalm out of all of the psalms and is read at funerals the world over. And it's read by people who are deeply irreligious the world over. It's sung by people who otherwise have very little belief in God the world over. People claim this phrase, the Lord is my shepherd for themselves. But what right do they have to do that? First and foremost, it's a psalm about the king. God is the king's shepherd. But there is something more than that. Because what God is, the son is also. What the father does, the son takes on also. So those words from John chapter 5 that we heard this morning. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. And so whatever we see the father doing, Jesus takes on that role. In fact, as we see in the New Testament, uh, it's not just the father who is called Yahweh, but Jesus bears the name Yahweh. So the Lord is my shepherd. Yahweh is my shepherd. Yes, the father is a shepherd to the son who is the king, but then the son who sees what his father is doing becomes the shepherd of you and me. Revelation 7.17, for the lamb in the sheep imagery, the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Those echoes of Psalm 23, what the father has done for the son, the father's on the throne and then the lamb's on the throne, so it is for us. The lamb becomes our shepherd, the good shepherd, who laid down his life for the sheep, saved through death, but then he leads us to springs of living water. It is an utterly audacious claim to say that the one who made all things, who laid out the heavens, who formed the earth, who holds all things in his hand, who sustains all things by the power of his word, who is everywhere, he's inescapable, who is all-powerful, there is nothing that can thwart him. He is all-knowing. There's nothing that can surprise him. There is no one or no thing in creation that can say, God, you need me. God, you need my wisdom. There is no one or anything in creation that God says, thank you, I didn't know that. Thank you, I couldn't have done it without you. Thank you, I wasn't there. God is all in all. 
how audacious to say that he is our shepherd. But that's exactly what God calls us to do. That's exactly who God is towards you and me. In Isaiah chapter 40, the beginning of such uh, several chapters of exclaiming and proclaiming and extolling and lifting up God is exactly what we've just talked about, how great he is, how independent he is, how uh, over creation, beyond comprehension, beyond our understanding of power and strength he is. It begins, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Utterly audacious to claim the God who made all things to be our shepherd. And yet... To not do so would be disobedience to this God. To not do so would be to miss who God is towards us, how God wants us to see him. What humility must we have before our God? What thankfulness, what comfort, what joy that God creator, sustainer, Lord, King of kings, would be your shepherd, my shepherd. But only if we belong to his flock. It's not a psalm for everybody. It's a psalm first for his king and then for the king's flock, his congregation, his people. Some of you might be thinking, that's great, Scott. Thanks for taking us through Jesus and then to all of us. Couldn't we have just skipped the Jesus part? Can't we just claim this psalm for ourselves? Yes, we can and we should claim this psalm. But it's important that we do it through Jesus. And if nothing else, because that's how God writes his scriptures. That's how God wants us to come to him, through Jesus who is the good shepherd, but for another very important reason, because Jesus has gone before. Jesus has gone before you and me. These things are not theoretical. These things are not hypothetical. These things are not anticipations that we hope will happen, but we don't know if they will happen or not. We just have to trust blindly as they did in the old covenant. But no, We've seen it happen. Jesus has already been brought through the shadow of death. Jesus is already in God's presence. He's returned to dwell with God forever. He's already had his soul restored and lives life, the path of right, the righteous. He's already in the green pastures beside still waters. He's already been there and he bleeds us there. Psalm 23 gives us a confidence when we see it in light of Jesus that what it promises 
what comfort it offers has already been established and proven and evidenced and realised in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, there is great comfort in this psalm. And it's a comfort that we rightly take at all times. But even, perhaps especially, when our time approaches and our final breaths draw near. It's a psalm that we can offer to those who are struggling, labouring their final breaths, to take comfort that they need not fear. Jesus has gone before. They need not fear. The Lord is shepherd. This shepherd's already laid his life down for the sheep and he's taken it up again that we too might have new life. And this time of lockdown, uh, it's hard to know who is uh, attending church on any particular Sunday. Um, what many of you, most of you won't realise is that my mother has been coming to Cherrybrook Anglican Church um, uh, during lockdown times, um, tuning in. Um, I guess she likes to hear her son preach. But anyway, hello, Mum. Uh, and uh, I think I've shared this story. I think I shared it um, at my Nana's funeral. But uh, I was actually the last family member to visit my grandmother um, before she passed uh, those years ago. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, she decided to stop eating and I visited her that afternoon. And the last words that she heard before she passed, the last words of scripture from a family member, were these words. A comfort that you can let go because God is with us. A comfort that will be preserved not from death, but through death because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Friends, in the face of death, remember the Lord is shepherd. In the midst of turmoil, trouble, threat, opposition, our frailty, our mortality, as we see our mortality approaching, our body decaying, outwardly wasting away, yet inwardly we are renewed day by day because we know this God leads us into green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. His rod and his staff, they comfort let me pray. Father in heaven, fill us with such a vision of your shepherding activity to us. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. Fill us with such a vision, Father, of your shepherding activity to him and he to us that we might take 
great comfort that we would not fear, but that we would be at peace, knowing that Jesus, having laid down his life, took it up again. That Jesus, having laid down his life, now lives at your right hand. And we who belong to him, even though we die, yet shall we live. And we thank and praise you for this truth, this comfort, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.